0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. This week, Lead Pastor Matt Dean continues our series, Following Jesus, in Mark chapter 15. If you're new tonight, I want to welcome you. And as we continue in this series, uh, Following Jesus, we are now in week 15 of this series, looking at Mark's gospel. And we knew this night was coming Uh, And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 15 as we look at these last hours of Jesus and his ministry of love. We pick up in Mark chapter 15, verse one, and it says, as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things, and Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. If you're new to this story, Jesus has already been betrayed, and those that promised they would never leave him have now left him. And he is now in the custody of these Jewish leaders who are wanting to do away with Jesus and this trial by night, and the, what we see in these story lines is that this whole thing, as I talked about last Sunday, was against Jewish law and Jewish practice. Every bit of these proceedings was outside of what they would normally and legally do. But Jesus makes no further answer, and Pilate was amazed by this. And so it says Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. Pilate Pilate would release a prisoner at people's request. And this is what is happening. It says, the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do so as he usually did for them. And Pilate answered the crowd saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For Pilate perceived that it was actually out of envy that the chief priests had delivered Jesus up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him released for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, "Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews?" And they cried out again, "Crucify him." And Pilate said to him, to them, "Why? What evil has he done?" But they shouted all the more, "Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him!" So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, Released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now, we read that word scourged, and we just move past it, but you, you need to know this was a leather whip with bits of bone and metal. It was designed to inflict pain and to weaken that which would be crucified. It was designed to remove chunks of skin from the back and legs of whomever it hit. And this was hitting God. And and that's what's hard for our hearts to fathom. That God, the same God who spoke the universe into being, the same God who upholds the universe by the word of his power, the same God that said, let there be light and there was light, was now having very real skin removed from his back at the hands of a merciless beating army. This was God. And we read this and we... We, we don't know what to do in our hearts with this. But I think it's good for us, for the, for the weight of God's mercy in these moments to settle in on us that God was beaten for me. He was beaten for you. He was flogged and humiliated for those whom he would redeem. It says, and the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion as though Jesus really was a military threat. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put this crown of thorns on the head of Jesus. And they began to salute him, hail king of the Jews. The sarcasm and the disingenuous praise was thick. It says, as they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down and and homage to him. This is God hit in the head with a reed and spit upon. And as we looked at Mark 14, he's already been blindfolded. He's already been beaten in the face. He's already suffered tremendous pain. And yet here's this military battalion mocking him, kneeling down as though He was someone special. And when they had mocked him, they stripped Jesus of the purple cloak and put his own clothes back on him, and they led him out to crucify him with very real nails onto a very real crossbar that he would have to carry through the streets of Jerusalem. It says, they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now this is an interesting detail that Mark includes. Mark includes this, this little short biography of this guy named Simon who's coming from the countryside and he's detailing the fact that he has two sons. But Mark mentions this because Mark is writing to the Roman church in the first century. And in that Roman church in the first century, we can read in Romans 16, Paul is talking about a guy named Rufus who happened to be the son of Simon who happened to carry the cross of Christ. And that's a detail that Mark includes. So here we have this passerby Simon who's helping Jesus because he's been so severely beaten carry the crossbar of the cross through the streets. And it says, and they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means a place of the skull. And they offered Jesus wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And this is where the, it's just hard to say, but They crucified him. I can read that to you, but let that settle in. They crucified Jesus, put him on a cross. And if it weren't enough to be on a cross, they next divided his clothing among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. Not only is scripture being fulfilled in these moments, prophecy being fulfilled in these moments, but God is being stripped of clothing, publicly humiliated, publicly beaten. This is our God. John Calvin makes the comment about this particular scene. He writes that Jesus was stripped of his clothes that we might know the wealth gained for us by this nakedness, for it shall dress us in God's sight. God willed his son to be stripped that we should appear freely with the angels in the garments of his righteousness and the fullness of all good things. What an incredible exchange, our shame for his righteousness. We pick up in Mark, it says, and it was the third hour when they crucified Jesus. And the inscription of the charge against Jesus read, the king of the Jews, and with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from that cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe those who were crucified with Jesus also reviled him. Now in Luke 23, we see this scene with greater color. It says this in Luke, that two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified Jesus and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. you will be with me in paradise. Talk about mercy. Talk about grace. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was the moment where the father turns his face away. This was the moment where it was no longer a son and a father, but an obedient servant before his God. This was the moment that the perfect atoning sacrifice of Jesus, unrivaled and unmatched, this is when it happens. When in obedience to his God as the perfect suffering servant. And this is when the father's face had turned away. He says, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and Jesus breathed his last. In John 19, we see this same scene with more color. It says, after this, Jesus, knowing that now all was now finished, To fulfill the scripture, he said, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the death of Jesus, our Savior and King. It says, the curtain temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion who stood facing him, the centurion who led this military battalion, as though Jesus was ever a threat to anyone, that same centurion who was leading this army, that centurion stood facing Jesus, saw that in this way he breathed his last, that centurion who did not believe before, that centurion now says, truly this man was the son of God. It was in the suffering of Jesus that that military leader said, truly, this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph and of Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was a day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath. Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of this Jewish council that put Jesus to death, it says that Joseph was also himself looking for the kingdom of God. And Mark takes note, he says, Joseph took courage or boldly went to Pilate. At risk, Joseph went to Pilate with courage and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus had already died because typically those that were being crucified would take two to three days before they would eventually suffocate to death. It says he was surprised that Jesus was dead. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse of Jesus to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud or an expensive linen garment. And taking Jesus down, He wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of a rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb and Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. John 19 also helps us see this with more detail. It says, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission And so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, he came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds of spices in weight. And so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloth with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. And now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. And that is the crucifixion and the death and the burial of our King, Jesus. And I think it's so important as believers, as men and women of faith who are faithfully following after Jesus, that we, we settle into the story because it was necessary. The cross was necessary for God to be both just and the justifier. The cross was necessary. It was necessary for Jesus to atone For our sins. He is and was the perfect sympathetic high priest. He was the one without sin who became our sin. And so as we think about this story, as we think about this history, I want you to know for a fact Good Friday was God's plan. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't a lapse in history or a lapse in God's sovereignty. This was the precise plan of God to bring salvation to all who would believe. And Jesus himself was fulfilling the very words that he said in Mark chapter 8. It says, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Or in Luke 24, it says, Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of our sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Or in Acts chapter two, when Peter is preaching, he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, this Jesus, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And Easter Sunday only has meaning because of Good Friday. The resurrection of Jesus has to come after his death. The atonement for sins was necessary, but the resurrection life is what gives us eternity with him. The punishment that brought us peace is matched by the resurrection that gives us life. And it's not just that by grace through faith, you've been made right with God, that the punishment has been dealt with. Now your whole life has been changed forever, and not only are you right with God through faith, you are alive to God in faith and alive to him forever. Before Christ, you were dead in your sins and dead to God, After Christ, you are dead to sin and alive to God. And when we think about Good Friday, we need to rest in the definite plan of God. This was God's plan A. He knew in the garden Good Friday was coming. And before he created the world, he knew this was coming. He knows everything. He sees everything. He can do everything. He is everywhere. He is good and he is God. And when we think about Good Friday, I want to ask the question as people who trust in Jesus, like what do we do with Good Friday? It's tough to preach. It's tough to hear. It's tough to read. It's tough to think about the suffering of Jesus, of his blood, of his humiliation. That, that's very painful for me to say. I'm sure it's difficult for you to hear. It's hard to read about. We wanna skip by it sometimes, but we can't and we shouldn't. We should honor the story because this was God's story. We should honor the history because this is what it took to make people like you and me right with God. So how do we apply the reality of this story? How do we not just hear the word, but how do we do the word? And I wanna give you a few things to think about that we rest in this promise that when we were at our worst, God gave his best. How do we rest in Good Friday? We rest in this thought based on Romans 5 that God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All of your sins were future. Everything you would ever do was in the future when Jesus was on this cross. There is no sin or shame that surprises him about you. Everything you've ever done, everything you're gonna do, every act of betrayal, every denial, every lie, every carnal, fleshly, embarrassing, humiliating thing that you've done in the dark, every misdeed done in the dark, everything you wish no one would know about, all of it was future when Jesus was on the cross. And at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are to rest in that. The great hymn, Jesus, I am resting, resting, was written by a woman whose brother was killed in the Boxer Rebellion in China as a missionary. And for those who witnessed his murder, they would come back to the hymn that she wrote, Jesus, I am resting, resting, resting in the promise of your love. And that song of resting in Jesus came at great comfort to those missionaries who lost loved ones in that rebellion. God shows his love for us that when we are at our worst, he gives his very best. That's one way we are to honor Good Friday. Another way we are to honor Good Friday is that we are to see life all of our life in view of God's mercy. I'll put this verse before you in Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy or by the mercies of God to offer your body or to offer your lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. Yes, we are to sing songs of praise to him, but the greatest song you will ever sing is a life devoted to him your whole life response is your act of worship. And it's demonstrated with the view of God's mercy in mind. Here's why this matters. If you remember God's mercy to you, then when difficulty comes your way or you are offended or the recipient of something that is not fair, remember that you did not deserve ever, 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 the mercy of God that he's given you in Jesus. And we can love because we've first been loved. We can forgive because we've first been forgiven. We can walk in obedience because Jesus was obedient on our behalf. And now that the penalty of sin has been removed, we now live in view of God's mercy. And all of your life belongs to him because none of your life deserved his mercy. All of his grace has been given to you. Therefore, every gift in your life is to be received as grace. And finally, the best way to honor Good Friday is to live like this. These are the words of Paul. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do not make the mistake of seeing that your life and the life of Christ are inseparable. You've been made one with him by grace through faith. And you cannot see your life apart from the life of Christ. If you see yourself apart from the life of Christ, then when life gets difficult or the temptation gets unbearable, you will give in and you will struggle. If you see that you've been made one with Christ, that you have union with Christ, that you are his brother or a child of God, when you see that and you see that the strength you need to endure that situation will come from him and not from you, that's the difference maker. And when you're at the end of yourself but the strength of God and the beauty of God and the grace of God is made perfect in your weakness or as Paul says that you can boast in your weakness that Christ may be glorified, that his strength would be made perfect in your weakness, that's this life that we're talking about. And the way to honor Jesus and the way to honor Good Friday is to honor this verse by saying, I have been crucified with Christ. I should have died that death, but Jesus died that for me. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but Christ. He now lives in me in the life I now live in this flesh. In this body, I'm living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As I've wrestled with this passage and how to honor Jesus in my own heart, how to honor his very real suffering and just the horror of this scene. The one thing that keeps coming back to me in my own heart as I walk with God daily is that he is always present with me. He's present when I rise. He's present when I go to sleep. He's present on my drive to work. He's he's present in all my meetings. He's present in my sermon preparation. He's present with me at the grocery store. He's present with me and when I take the trash out, he is present with me at all times, but I am not always present with him. And the difference between God being present with us and us being present with him all comes back to have you acknowledged him? Have you said in the morning, I give you my heart? Have you said in the evening, I give you my heart? Have you said I'm drawing near to you because you have promised to draw near to me? I'm drawing near to you because I know you've taken the penalty of my very real sin away from me. So I can come to you as a child, assured of your glad welcome, that you're not holding me at an arm's distance, but you're welcoming me as a child. You're you're receiving me with the joy of a father. And and I just wanna challenge you, how do we honor Jesus on this day is to be present with him. Knowing that he is present with us, but the difference about people and God is God is always who he is. He is the same. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever, he is the same. Help us be different, God. Help us walk by acknowledging who you are, by acknowledging your presence with us. So this evening, I I wanna give you time and space. Thanks again for listening this week. If you'd like to learn more about Grace Auburn Church, you can go online at graceauburn.church or you can download the Church Center app from the App Store or the Google Play Store on your mobile device.